How are we doing this morning? All right, I'm Jarrell. I uh, oversee and pastor the students and the parents um, in our youth ministry here at Antioch Church. It's been a blessing for about three and a half years. And we, we have an absolutely incredible crop of middle school and high school students um, who dive deeply into what it means to follow Jesus uh, in their stage of life. And so if you see one around, uh, they don't bite. Just go up, um, shake their hand, and get to know them. Oh, well, we are finishing our series on 1 John. We've been in it for a couple weeks. It's called Love One Another. Um, Before that, uh, we spent a couple months going through the Sermon on the Mount. After this series, we're going to dive into um, a preaching series on the Apostles' Creed. It's going to be called We Believe, and the Apostles' Creed is a historic uh, proclamation of our faith, boundary markers for orthodoxy, and we are diving in Um, to what that means for us today to help align our beliefs uh, to truth and I think ground us uh, in a world with quite a bit of uh, competing worldviews. So um, if you have your Bibles, uh, go to 1 John chapter 5. If you have a phone, please close Instagram first and then go to your Bible app. Find John chapter 5. I don't know what you're looking at, so I'm going to trust you're looking at God's word this morning. Um, the really interesting thing about this text today is that it almost feels, uh, if you're reading 1 John, it almost feels like he got done r- writing his letter, and then he decided to write a couple more things very randomly. Um, and those are some of the more difficult, controversial, um, weird passages of Scripture that you read, and, and you just kind of think, I don't know. <laughs> is that, I don't know how to interpret that. And so Pete um, and his infinite Um, Wisdom decided to give that to the youth pastor. (laughs) And so, just so you know, I really tried. I really tried uh, to to bring some cohesion to this text. And I actually think it's incredible news um, as we we dive into that uh, today. So, uh, would you join me in seeing what God has to say uh, for us this morning um, in this text? And I just want to dive right in. So, if you look... At 1 John chapter 5, um, verse 13, here's how this final portion of John's letter um, starts. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. So when I read that, uh, my first thought is that John has a category for someone who believes in Jesus, but doesn't know that they have eternal life, as he says. Someone who might know how to profess the right doctrine, might want to believe, has shown fruit of faith in their life, and is persevering. Um, But if you ask them, do you know if you have eternal life, um, their immediate response would not be a confident yes. It wouldn't be yes without a shadow of a doubt. I know that I have eternal life. I'm convinced there are no doubts of that uh, within me. And John, in this text, has gone overboard with this phrase, we know. And he's reminding um, his audience and us today of things that we know as they face kind of a tumultuous season um, in their lives as Jesus followers. Keep in mind, at this time, John is very old. He's the only remaining uh, disciple alive and he's kind of like uh, the father figure of um, post-Jesus Christianity. Um, and he's writing these words of wisdom. And so if I was teaching this uh, to my youth group, which 
Um, just pretend you're a high schooler now, I don't know. Um, I would start out with these two questions. Two questions um, with that first text. The first is, what is eternal life? What is eternal life? And the second is, how certain are you that you have eternal life? And what I would do, uh, my students would know, I would say, turn to your neighbor, talk about these questions for a couple minutes, um, and then we'll dialogue about them and see what we find. Um, some, some kids only need 20 seconds, some kids need the whole night. Um, that's called youth ministry. Um, so I want to answer this for you, what I think um, we might be tempted to say, what our uh, upbringing in the faith would have led us to believe, the struggles that we have now. And then I want to propose um, a strange piece of good news that I think John has for us as we um, endeavor into this question. And so here uh, are two common responses that I think we might have uh, for these questions. The first response is this. Eternal life is life after death for a Christian. If you say that you have eternal life, means that when you die, you will go to heaven and be with Jesus. Uh, you might have streets of gold. You might look like an angelic being floating around on clouds. Um, and this is really the hope that I think a lot of us were sold uh, in our faith and that um, believe in Jesus because when you die, there will be two, two choices for you, life in hell or life in heaven. This is the better one. So you should want that. And when we hear eternal, um, what we hear is a time-sensitive word, that eternal means forever, and that forever really begins in the future um, once I die. Does this sound familiar um, to maybe anyone in your upbringing and your belief? Um, and so what's really interesting is that the motivation behind this definition of eternal life is fear, that um, we believe um, so that we, are, we don't get what we're afraid of receiving. I was in a conversation recently with someone who loves Jesus, follows Jesus, and we were talking about this, and um, they were very, very certain that fear is the greatest motivator uh, for evangelism, and that this person came to Jesus um, through fear of hell and um, still holds on to Jesus through fear of hell, and still evangelizes and presents the good news primarily through the lens that um, you don't want this bad thing to happen to you. And so the question is, how certain are you that you have uh, this future eternal life? And I've, I've had a variety of answers to that. Um, some people are very sure. Like, I'm very confident that um, if I died today, I would be with Jesus, I would be, I would be in heaven. Um, others, I think this can be a struggle. We, we kind of have this deep sense of fear. Like, man, what if? Like, am I a sheep or am I a goat? Did I do enough? What about some of those warning passages Jesus gives us when he's like, um, you did all these things for me, but I never knew you, and he dismisses them um, from his um, kingdom of righteousness. And um, I think this is, this is really a, a difficult perspective. I hope that if you have been within Antioch community. Um, this isn't your primary angle for viewing uh, salvation. Um, and I think maybe the biggest downfall is that your life on earth would be mediocre, that the promises that Jesus gives you haven't happened yet. Um, to have eternal life is to just kind of be in a holding pattern and waiting, trying to make as many converts as I can until I and we all can have the life, the good life that Jesus offers us. Um, there's certainly some 
truth and our ultimate hope is in God bringing his new kingdom to earth, restoring all things the way it should be, um, a world without sin and rebellion and flourishing, and we do confidently hope in that. Um, but that is not, I think, what John means when he's talking about eternal life. The second answer that I think a lot of us have is this. Eternal life is supernatural life now that makes my life awesome. Um, and so this can take a variety of forms. You might have um, heard this in the material uh, realm where if you follow Jesus, you might have health, you might have wealth, you might have prosperity. It might go well with you. Um, you might get that parking spot you really want outside of Walmart or not Walmart, Trader Joe's or Whole Foods, just to speak our language here. Wherever you shop for groceries, I definitely don't shop at Walmart. It's not across the street from my house. Uh, um, and so basically we're told, hey, man, if you believe in Jesus, your life will get better, right? Um, and maybe you don't buy the material, the health and wealth kind of gospel, but maybe you've been sold a type of um, like spiritual Red Bull, I call it, where, man, if you believe in Jesus, you're just going to feel like awesome inside. Like he's just going to be near to you and you're going to be pals and um, uh, our middle schoolers are going to camp at the end of the month to Camp Ochico, which is a really cool camp uh, out past Prineville. Um, and I'm going to be doing the teaching. And one of my um, kind of fundamentals in teaching a middle school camp is to not um, spiritually or emotionally manipulate a kid um, into doing something that might just be a fleeting um, moment, that I think we're trying to build um, foundations for our students, not just kind of whimsical commitments. Um, not that, that God can't um, use things like that. Um, and so what happens is uh, you go to camp, and this was really how my faith grew up, and you hear that, I don't know, that worship song that gives you the flutteries, do you know what I'm talking about? And you cry, and you're like, Jesus feels so near to me, and you're just all about reading your devotions and praying again, and you just kind of ride that spiritual high. Um, and then I think there are a lot of communities of Christians, and I think in our lives we face that as well, of being tempted to the eternal life means um, something is like better and more supernatural and spiritual about my life. And if I have enough faith, I can press into that. Um, and at best, it calls us to um, spend time pursuing and communing with the Father. Um, and these are very good things. At worst, it can lead to spiritual abuse uh, or manipulation. Um, and I think ultimately leaving us to wonder, man, if I didn't get that parking spot, if I didn't feel the flutteries, um, if I'm not healthy and wealthy and well, um, do I still have the eternal life that God promised us? And really, um, those are kind of caricatures. I don't think, um, I think maybe some of us have to process through that a little bit. But I think deep down, there's this sense of, am I okay? Like, if my life isn't how I thought it was going to go, and emotionally, circumstantially, um, spiritually, it's not what I think Jesus would want eternal life to look like in my heart. I think we wonder, like, do we have eternal life? Is that something that I possess? Is that something that I can be confident in? And I want to propose that John says, yes, you can be confident in that, that you do possess that. Um, and I want to show, I want to show how. Um, okay. You guys ready? How are we doing? Okay, so we're going to get to the tricky part soon. I'm just stalling. Hopefully I run out of time. Uh, <laughs> you think I'm joking. Um, 
So as we look at this text, um, John wants us to know in verse 13 that we do have eternal life. And if you look there at the end, um, in verse, what is that, 20, we also know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God um, and eternal life. And so John certainly believes that we have access to eternal life now, and that's something that carries in uh, to a fuller um, expression and experience when, when Jesus returns and brings his kingdom on earth. Um, and I think John wants to warn us that um, it should be the desire for heaven in the present, not the fear of hell in the future that drives our pursuit of Jesus. And secondly, as I look in 1 John, um, and I read through it a couple times, um, I've noticed two things. That John's description of eternal life is both a blessing and it presents a tension for our life. And when John says, you have eternal life, what we should expect is a blessing, and what we should also expect is tension present in our life. And I want to kind of present to you the good news that if your life is marked by tension in the moment, it might not actually be a sign that you don't have eternal life. It might be a sign that you do. And so I want to show you this list uh, that I made of kind of John is speaking about two realms um, when he talks about the blessing of eternal life, um, that though we once lived in darkness, um, we have the ability to move into light. Um, although hate once um, shaped our hearts, we have the power to press into love. Although our lives are marked by sin, we, ha we can step into obedience. We trade cognitive um, lies for the truth. Um, and even in a more robust sense, um, the worldly living that seems so tempting, um, pride and wealth and fame and power, um, we're submitting then to the will of God. And ultimately, this is what it means to have life rather than death, um, not just later, but now, that you're pressing into the reality of God's truth and his life and his kingdom here on earth. Um, and this is what it means to be um, a blessing um, on earth and receive God's blessing um, for his kingdom. And then I want to talk about uh, the tension, because if you look at that list, light, love, obedience, truth, will of God, and life, um, I start to wonder, man, like, how am I doing? Like, am I holding up to that list? Do I feel like this list is present, is a present reality in my life? Um, and what happens if it's not? Like, what happens if I'm wrestling and struggling, um, if I find myself caught uh, between uh, the lines of those uh, realms. John presents tension in eternal life, that if we are going to be receiving God's good news and stepping out as ambassadors for it, that these are the battles uh, we're going to face. And in, and in 1 John, um, God is calling us to a couple things, and I want to mention them here. The first uh, it just is chronologically through the book, not chronologically, but whatever, in order through the book. Um, he says to confess our sins. Does that feel good? Is that nice to do? Um, to dig deep enough into your heart to find um, the mess and then to tell someone about it, to find healing? That doesn't feel um, like bliss, really. I think sometimes it leads to that. It does lead to that. Secondly, obey God's commands. Does that feel good? 
Like, is that nice to um, put down our pride and to press into humility? He talks about not hating your brother or sister. So when that person that you don't like is really successful, like, like the veins of jealousy attack your heart, or um, you feel hate and anger and you want to invoke revenge on someone, to deny that and to press into the life of Jesus doesn't feel good. Um, it would feel better to just have revenge, right? Um, maybe. It depends. Depends how good you are at it, I guess. Um, and to not love the world, especially in a, in a time where we might be the most um, prosperous and wealth-filled generation of all time, to not allow the temptations of money to rivet our hearts, um, and then to remain in Jesus when we want to be flaky and quit, to stay in it, to stay in the fight with grit and endurance. These are, this is tension in our hearts. It's tension in our world. We, when, we, when someone we love is choosing um, the one side over the other, we lament it and we feel it. And so um, I think John is calling us to, to redefine eternal life, not as something that's in the future, not as something that makes our life awesome, but to, to press into the blessing and the tension that we find as we bring God's kingdom to earth through the power of Jesus. I think John's trying to convince us that we do have this eternal life. So here's what I want to propose today um, to you, and I, I really want this to sound like good news. It's this. To press into eternal life is to constantly dig into the tension between the already and the not yet of God's kingdom, both in the world and in our hearts. To constantly dig into the tension between the already and the not yet of God's kingdom, both in the world and in our hearts. I think the key is this, is that when we ask the question, what is eternal life, it's actually the wrong question. The question should really be, who is eternal life? And the answer is everyone's favorite Sunday school answer? <laughs> Jesus. Okay, half of you were sleeping, but that's good. I'll take 50%. Um, and if you look at how, last, um, how we ended last week in verse 11 and 12, um, here's what John says. And this is the testimony of God, uh, that God has given us eternal life. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life and whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. Earlier in the, in the book, in chapter 2, verse 6, he says, whoever claims to live in God must live as Jesus did. And so when we talk about receiving Jesus and having the life of Jesus and Jesus being the ultimate bridge um, between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of earth, between righteousness and evil, and that Jesus um, says, hey, I'm going to go, your job is to continue this mission and you have my life and my spirit and my power in you to go be my witnesses, um, we would expect then that our lives would be marked uh, with the same tensions that Jesus faced. He says, hey, you want true life? You should love your neighbor as yourself. You should forgive your enemy. Deny yourself and take up your cross. Hang out with the least of these on their turf. You'll be misunderstood. The world will hate you, but you know what? You're living in me, and you're tapping into the DNA of God's creative enterprise on earth, and it's going to be the very thing you need 
in order to form further into my image? What if the tension of our eternal life produced confidence, uh, not doubt, within us? So I've been around Antioch for three and a half years now. I know it's kind of gone fast or slow for some of you. I don't know. Um, and it's been an absolute joy, friends, to um, press into life with you. One of my, one of my favorite situations is um, I'm running a youth group or I'm trying to run a youth group. I don't know what's happening sometimes. Um, and a parent uh, comes up and we just start talking and we get to talk about life and what it's like to raise a middle schooler or a high school or a college kid um, these days. And we get to share life together. And for many of you, um, not just between you and I, but between you and pastors here, between one another, um, we've cried together. We've shared um, birth and loss together. We have experienced job transitions and moves and heartbreak and pain. We've struggled and fought in prayer um, for family members who don't know you, or don't know you, don't know God. They might not know you either. I don't know, that'd be weird. So your family. Doesn't matter. Um, and so, um, I don't know. I'm, I'm just trying to get a pulse of how is Antioch doing? And I think we're doing really well. Um, I see us caring for one another, pressing in um, to this city of Bend and this community. Um, and if you're feeling discouraged and if you're feeling heavy and weighed down because um, the eternal life that you've received seems a little bit more tense, a little bit more messy, a little bit more gritty and difficult than you really thought. And you start to wonder, man, is, is, is Jesus really in my life? Like, is this how it would pan out? Um, I, I think Jesus would say, absolutely. Like, if you want to follow Jesus into the mess and into the tension and be agents of reconciliation, it's going to mean, especially in your own heart, choosing um, to wrestle between light and darkness, sin and obedience. And as you feel the effects of brokenness throughout the world, you're going to have to wrestle and dive into that tension. And it's going to be not fun all the time. And so I want to encourage you, if that's you, take heart. I want you to have confidence and know that you have eternal life. Um, and so as we look into this text, um, I still have to, now I'm at the point where I have to talk about the difficult text. So here we are. There it is. Uh, so we could be done, or we want to keep going. We'll see what happens. I'll keep going. I don't want to get in trouble. So look at verse 14. Um, I want to sh show three snapshots of what it looks like. I think as John finishes this letter to press into eternal life, press into the tension of eternal life on earth. Verse 14, um, the first, I think, thing he proposes this is that we wrestle for God's will in our prayers. Look at verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. Um, for obvious reasons, this is a tricky text. You wonder, well, a couple things. If I only need to ask things that are God's will, would they have happened anyways? Legitimate question. Secondly, sometimes I feel like I am praying God's will, and that thing doesn't happen. So is this verse right or wrong? Am I right or wrong? Jesus didn't like, I didn't pray the right way. 
Um, this can be a very tricky um, text to consider. Um, we're not going to try to answer all those questions, but I want to dive into, I think, something that helps relieve some of that tension. Um, John mentions confidence and implies humility. And I think we have different definitions of prayer. And I think at a fundamental level, we often think of prayer as talking to God. And usually that involves um, anything from confession to praise to thanksgiving to requests. Um, and I think oftentimes nowadays it's requests. Um, and we basically come to God and we say, hey God, here's this thing that I really want. Maybe it's selfish, maybe it's not. And I really want you to um, align yourself with my desires and my will to do this for me. And please, <laughs> amen. Um, and I, I don't mean to joke about it because honestly a lot of our prayers are, are heartfelt and, and tear-driven in that sense of the term. And um, when I think about prayer, I have to think about Jesus um, in, and Jesus' life of prayer. And when John writes this, he spent his three years of his life with Jesus um, and watching Jesus' patterns of prayer. Very, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. The disciples are always falling asleep while Jesus is praying. He's always going up to a mountain and he's praying. Like, what do you think he's praying about? Like, oh, God, I really want, like, a new robe, you know? <laughs> uh, he's wrestling with God to bring his kingdom on earth. Jesus views prayer not as aligning God to your will, but aligning your heart to God's will. That the reason, um, I think, as, as Antioch, we believe in liturgical elements of prayer um, is that because we view prayer not as just sharing our thoughts with God, but hearing God's thoughts and wrestling in our hearts through the tension. And the tension that Jesus faced was, do I have to die for these people that hate me to save them? And he says, I would rather not, but not my will, but yours be done. And the tension of Jesus' prayer is so great that he's sweating blood. Um, and that also doesn't sound great <laughs> either. Um, but I think it reorients how we pray and what we pray is that when we view ourselves as pressing into the tension between heaven and earth, our prayers begin to align our heart to God's will. Um, and so I have an example of this. Um, she's not going to like that I'm saying this, but Amy Kasari is our missions pastor here at Antioch, and she's probably been the best thing that our staff has received, uh, maybe since Pete, we don't know. It's there are one and two. Uh, and so you don't know this, but every morning Amy comes to work, she comes up, she makes coffee, she cleans all the dishes in the sink that like me and Evan left there. And then she takes seven laps around the block of our neighborhood. And each lap she prays for something different. And one of those is the students at Bend High and our student ministry. Um, she prays for our partners, she probably prays for you. Um, and Amy has done this since the day she started, or since, since we moved into that building. And um, we have seen the most incredible things happen. Uh, this whole Nalal and Diosesamor thing that Pete talked about is incredible. And I'm sitting there like, oh my goodness, what if Amy's prayers like worked? <laughs> like, what if, what if like in wrestling with God, like his desires came in part of us and he brought conversation and God through prayer wants to invite us into experiencing um, the pain he feels when people turn away from him and the joy he feels when light can shine into darkness, when life can come into death, um, when righteousness can press in to sin. 
So give Amy a hug. She's pretty great. Secondly, if you look at the next chunk of verses, is that we pray for believers who are struggling in sin. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I'm not saying you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is a sin that does not lead to death. So obviously we all know what that means. Very good language. Um, you go to your friend like, hey, I need to confess a sin. And your friend's like, well, is it a sin that leads to death or a sin that doesn't lead to death? Because John was like, I don't, oh. I don't know. So apparently John's audience knew what this means. It's a really tricky thing. Um, most people would just say that there's an element of sin where your heart is so hard um, the sin is rejection of Jesus and his life. And so um, to be so stuck and so rooted in that sin is something that does ultimately lead to death. Um, logically, I would still want to pray for that person. And so it's tricky. We're not going to try to solve the riddle uh, this morning. I want to press into what we do know, um, which is that we're supposed to pray for someone that we know, a brother and sister in Christ who's in sin, um, which in many senses is all of us. And I think when we encounter someone we're in close enough community, we're rubbing shoulders with someone, and they're wrestling um, in, in sin, it affects us. And what we're often tempted to do is to be prideful. Like, man, I'm really glad that's not my marriage. Um, we're um, envious. Well, not envious is the word. What do I want to say? Sorry. Uh, yeah, we, um, there's, there's comparison and judgment. Sorry, judgment is the word I want. And we like, man, how could they do that? Or we're angry at them. Um, and then the other side of us is uh, the, super, the superheroes. We're trying to go around and fix everyone. Um, as a youth pastor, that's something that like, is really difficult for me is to know a lot of kids and a lot of parents and want to take all the kids out for coffee every single week so that I can like, single-handedly save high schoolers in Bend, Oregon. Um, and I don't think that's what Jesus is calling us to do, to not bring a spirit of judgment, to not bring a superhero complex, um, but to press into prayer and that um, we're trusting that God can do um, what only God can do. And I think at a really practical level, he's calling us um, to stop the gossip, stop the slander, to recognize what Jesus has done for you, and that what if the most loving thing we can do for someone is to pray for them? It's not a cop-out, it's work. And my encouragement uh, for a lot of you, I know you're doing this very well, um, to keep doing that. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. I think that's the spirit that Jesus wants us to have. And lastly, to dive into this final chunk, which is just beautifully written, um, we fight to live into our true identity. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who was born of God keeps them safe and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Um, I think this has a lot to do uh, with our self-talk and our identity and um, just kind of transparently, this is maybe something that I struggle with the most, is that the way I view myself is very, very far from the way I think God views me. 
Um, we can get that wrong on both sides. We can be prideful, but we can be um, also self-deprecating and not confident. Um, we wrestle with, man, when I look in the mirror, like, who do I say that I am? Like, am I making it? Am I good enough? Am I okay? Like, are, G are Jesus and me, are we good? Um, and I, I would imagine that that's a lot of us, is that we have a lot of labels to wear, father, um, mother, the, the opposite of father is mother. Uh, whatever your job is, whatever your talent is, whatever your cultural, you know, thing is, um, we press into these identities. But I think at the fundamental level, and this is the good news, um, is that we are children of God. Like, you're adopted into his family. Um, the life of Jesus is now the life that you have access to. The tension, I think, is a sign of your eternal life, not a sign of not being in it. Um, and when I look to Jesus, and I, and I see this one, um, I see that Jesus makes decisions so often oriented, well, only oriented between him and the Father, and that the start of this comes at Jesus' baptism. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist, comes up out of the water, and a voice from heaven, God's voice comes down and says, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And this identity is like driven into the blood of Jesus, and he goes throughout his entire ministry deciding when or when not to please the crowds, when or when not to heal, what city to go to, who to pray for, who to forgive, um, and all of that is oriented solely around what the Father is asking him to do because he is so secure in the Father's love for him that he's willing to, to displease so many people um, in order to align himself uh, with that will. And my, yeah, my calling um, for us all is to really um, press into that last verse. And so... Here's what I got for you, is that I want us, as followers of Jesus, who believe in Jesus, to be confident that we have eternal life um, and to define eternal life, not simply as something we go to when we die or a blissful, um, Red Bull Christianity here and now, but to press into the tension um, between heaven and hell, between righteousness and evil, press into the life of Jesus, um, the suffering of Jesus, and the joy of Jesus um, to endure um, for your life and do all of that within the identity that God's given you. So uh, that's First John. We did it. We're done. Yeah. I don't think there's anything left to say. I, I just said it all. So um, at, at our Antioch gatherings every Sunday morning, um, we receive uh, the Lord's table or communion, the Eucharist, whatever you want to call it. And um, I grew up in a church that only did it twice a year because the fear was that if we do it too often, well, it'll like lose its edge. Um, and I was like, well, we preach every week. I don't know how that works. Um, but uh, we receive um, the grace and the sacrament of the Lord's table, um, just like we do the, um, the word and baptism, um, to press in to our new identity in Jesus and I know many of you know, we've talked about Rublev's icon, which is placed on these tables. It's an invitation to the table to sit um, with the Father and the Son and the Spirit, uh, to mirror the Son in his relationship with the Father, and to be empowered by God's Spirit um, to live your mission on earth. And this, friends, is a place of security. It's a place of joy and hope and rest in the midst of world, though there's tension 
um, even into our own hearts. And so wherever you're at today, the invitation of Jesus is to, is to press into your identity as a child of God um, and to receive the good news um, and share that uh, with the world. So um, we are going to have a song, and then my invitation is to come and um, take the bread and the cup, um, spend some time in prayer, and worship God that way and receive his grace supernaturally into your life that way. So let me pray for us. Jesus, we think um, of the moments of your life where you spent time pressing into the tension um, of eternal life. And I pray for us here in Bend, Oregon, um, this community of Antioch, that wherever we are in life, if our week has been filled with tears, our week has been filled with laughter or lament or praise, um, that you might ground us and help us to have confidence as we press into prayer, humility, um, as we pray for others, and identity as we step into what you've called us to be and who you've called us to be on earth. Thank you for this good news. Do in us and in this world what we cannot do. In your name, amen.